Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Thanks for joining. My name is Brad Johnson, and I'm the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel. In each episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast, it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. On this episode, I'm incredibly excited to welcome Dan Sullivan. He is the founder and president of Strategic Coach. Dan has over 35 years of experience as a sought-after speaker, consultant, and strategic planner. He's coached entrepreneurs worldwide to help them reach their full potential in both their business and personal lives. Dan is also the author of over 30 publications, including The Great Crossover, The 21st Century Agent, Creative Destruction, and How the Best Get Better. In this wide-ranging conversation, we discuss Dan's signature concept of why it's easier to 10x your business than it is to just double it. We also dig into a number of other topics to include. The concept of the gap and how entrepreneurs can learn to appreciate growth and where they've come from. Dan's unique naming guide and why creatively naming your products and services keeps you from becoming a commodity. Tips for trademarking your services with ease. His thoughts on the future of financial services and how advisors can protect themselves from robo-advisors and pending compensation changes related to the recent DOL ruling. How top-performing entrepreneurs and advisors structure their work week to lead a balanced and productive life. How to separate your business from your personal life. Dan's book recommendations on where the future's headed. And Dan's favorite success story of all time. One last thing. Dan and his team at Strategic Coach made an incredibly generous offer to share not one free tool, but three. The first one is the Strategic Coach Approach to Time Management. It outlines how to use focus, buffer, and free days. The second, the Strategic Coach Approach to Overcoming Commoditization. Seven steps to naming your process and differentiating from the competition. And lastly, how to get to the top and stay there. Focusing on the multiplier mindset on 10xing your business. These tools are all available to download at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash Dan, D-A-N. As always, show notes that include links to all the resources, books, and everything else we cover are available there as well. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Dan Sullivan. Welcome, everyone. This is Brad Johnson. And welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint podcast. Today, I am incredibly excited. We have Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coach joining us. Welcome, Dan. Thank you very much, Brad. Real pleasure. And thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, so I was prepping for this, Dan, and we've got a little over an hour here today, and I feel like I've got about a day's worth of questions. So it's interesting. uh, We have a number of clients and friends in common, and they've all raved about their experience at Strategic Coach. Obviously, we work in the financial advisory space. Uh, Strategic Coach is technically an entrepreneurial coaching, but I know you've really made an impact on a lot of financial advisors over the years. And I just wanted to start by saying thanks. Yeah. Because on my side, this will be hopefully interesting to you. I was trained on your calendaring process, the, the focus and the buffer days by a client who got them from another client who was a strategic coach client originally on. So I just wanted to say thank you because I've used it. It's been incredibly impactful over my 10 years or so in the financial advisor coaching space. 
And you are a great example of the compound effect in motion because your Mm -hmm. ideas just carry forward and they've been passed on and people that you've never even met before are benefiting from them. So I just want to say thank you to, to start this off. Thank you. So as we get into this, Dan, I want to start with the question, since you've coached a lot of financial advisors and you have this this thought process that it's easier to 10 times your business than it is two times or to double your business. Mm -hmm. Can you dig into that and explain what that means? Yeah. And this is a lot of what we do, Brad, in coach is we get people to think about their thinking. So most people think about things. Other people think about people. There are people who think about thoughts, but the actual activity of thinking about your thinking means that you're treating your experience as your school and you, you know, you go back in the past and you examine your experience and you draw lessons from it, independent lessons. This isn't somebody else telling you, you know, how to think about it. You're just thinking about it and you're extracting those lessons to build something in the future that's bigger and better than what you had before. And I would say this, that first of all, what we do when we address the issue of 10 times. And I have a program that I coach where that's actually the whole focus. It's called the 10 times ambition program. And we have other coaches. I have 15 other coaches who do more of what I would say a preparation program in coach. And, uh, you know, in the early days, uh, and I started in the 1970s, and then throughout the 80s and 90s, the financial services industry was our main network, basically, because it truly was a network. And that um, financial advisors are different from a lot of people in the sense that they know that their success is based on relationship. And that what makes them attractive to somebody else wouldn't make another advisor necessarily attractive. It's, It's very much of a relationship based business. And therefore, they don't see each other as competitors in quite the same way that, um, you know, other industries and businesses do. And they also know that they can share a lot at meetings. And so we had a tremendous referral power in the financial services because there's just a lot of courses and meetings and association affiliations where if Somebody who was really seen as very successful, almost as a role model, was in strategic coach. And they said, you know, you have to go and do this. And that that was very, very influential. And so we we really grew out of the financial services. And just as a matter of fact, about uh, 10 years ago, we went into the UK. So we started in Canada. I'm American. My wife is American. We're both born in the States. But um, I've been here for 45 years in Toronto because I love the city. I think it's just a super city. But we started off for the first, um, I would say, first of all, just one-on-one coaching for 15 years. And then first four years of the program, we were, we were just in Canada. And then we started in Chicago in early 90s. And then we've grown throughout the States. And then we started in the UK. But every time that we go into a new market, we go through the financial services because financial advisors are people who can change their future between breakfast and dinner just by by having a different strategy, by having a different mindset toward their future. So there's no stuff in their business because all, all of financial services is really based on concepts that are backed up by electronics. 
Today, they're backed up by electronics. So every so-called product in financial services is actually a an agreement that at a future time, if something happens, since there's a whole series of actions that will take place, whether it's an investment or it's insurance or anything else. So it's a very lightweight business. And so financial advisors can really change their life and transform their life remarkably quickly. But it has everything to do with the thoughts that you think about your future. And so I just started playing with a concept that maybe since you're going to be in this, entrepreneurism, regardless of the occupation, is a life sentence. Once you've been an entrepreneur for a number of years, you're not going to go back and work for somebody. So one thing you have to accept is that it's a life sentence. You're going to be in it. And retirement doesn't have the same meaning for entrepreneurs that it does for people who work, uh, you know, in corporate settings or government settings. So you're you're not bound in by retirement age. So uh, you've got a lot more time, you've got a lot more freedom to play with than other people. But you're either going to have a really liberating future, or you're going to have a trap future based on your thoughts about how big your future can actually be. So Brad, I just started playing around with the idea, why don't we just take last year's income, what you did last year and um, last 12 months, and let's just multiply that by 10. And so, you know, immediately there were reactions, you know, well, you can't do that in our industry. I said, just play with me for a half hour. I said, this is just a game I'm playing You don't have to commit to this, but I just want to see how you respond to this. And then I said, so why don't we go into the future at the point where you actually have achieved that 10 times? At some point in the future, we're not going to say exactly how many years, but you're you're going to be in the future. And let's turn around and look backwards and treat today as if it's the past. So you're actually in the future. You've just achieved 10 times could be revenues, uh, you know, it could be revenues or it could be profits, whatever measurement you want to use. And then I want you to treat as if you've actually already achieved the 10 times. And we're simply going to write the history of how you got from, you know, that point back in the past. Remember that day, you know, it was back in 2016 and you gave this 10 times goal. And I want you to tell me the three biggest changes you made in your business that allowed you to go to 10 times, okay? And so they'd write down three things that were big changes. And then what are the three things, and these are the only three things you now do in your business now that you're 10 times, and they'd write those down. And I say, you know, this took delegation and it took the building of an organization. So tell me the three most important delegations that allowed you to go 10 times and they write those down and then i say and way back then in 2016 when you set this goal what were the three things that you did immediately in the first 90 days and telling you this brad i'm telling you that basically you've just gotten the essence of strategic coach where i put a future result in front of them and have them think through the future result as if they were at the future result and then our you know, are just documenting how how they actually got there. And then I have them discuss this with each other, but they break into small groups. And then at the end of a half hour, I said, so what do you think? And they said, this is doable. 
this is doable. You know, we can do it. And it's just um, a sense of myself that once your brain can see the logic chain from getting from here to some exponential result in the future, and you can actually see the step-by-step logic chain, your brain actually accepts this as reality. And then your brain immediately starts looking at what supports that future goal right now and what doesn't support that future goal. And it starts screening out. And people, even that half hour, I mean, we reinforce it continually in Strategic Coach, but just that first half hour, I call this the 10 times mind expander. And uh, it's remarkable. I've done this with cold audiences where, you know, they weren't my clients. I was just a speaker. And I've done this with 200 people. And you could just feel the incredible shift uh, that that would go on in the room. And then years, I mean, a lot of them, you know, ultimately would join strategic coach, but I would meet people who would come up to me 10 years later and they say, I just want to thank you. I I've actually grown 10 times in 10 years, and it was because of that half hour we did. And I said, you know, congratulations. I said, but you should thank yourself because you you just allowed your brain to entertain this thought. Okay, so that sort of explains to your audience, Brad, you know, the whole concept of 10 times. And now I want to tell you why it's easier than two times. Okay. Perfect. And the reason is that 10 times is really exciting. There's not... You, you're you're talking to me, but you you're probably going through the thinking right now. And you did your last twelve months, and you multiplied ten times. And I could guarantee you would be very very excited about that day in the future when you were ten times. And everybody else would. And now I'm just going to pose the other challenge. We're going to think sometime in the future you're going to be two times. And people say, well. Yeah, I'd probably know how to do that. You know, wouldn't have to change too much. But one of the things that you would come is going two times isn't very exciting. And the reason is because you would be maybe improving this by 10% and this by 10%. And it would be very, very hard for you to really significantly be willing to change anything for two times, where with 10 times, you know, you have to change it. So it's a it, it sets up a totally different framework for your mind. You say, there's no way doing most of what I'm doing today that I can get to 10 times. So there's going to have to be significant change. Now, the kicker that really convinces them, and I say, okay, we're back to 2016. Now I want you to go backwards. And I want you to identify the point in the past when you were just one-tenth of where you are right now, income-wise. And, you know, and everybody can go back and they can find it. And I says, now, let's supposing we go back to that past day and ask yourself on that past day, you could have predicted how you you got 10 times bigger, whether you would even believe it if somebody said you could get 10 times bigger. And I said, so, you know, a lot of it is surprises, you know, how you got where everybody where you are today. Uh, Brad, you can certainly think of this how you got to where you are today from when you were one-tenth of where you are. It was a lot of surprises and a lot of new people came into your life and a lot of new opportunities came into your life. So I said, if you had set a 10 times goal uh, back then, you would have got there a lot more quickly, simply treating it as a formal structure. And so that's what we do. And, you know, I've personally coached about 6,000 
entrepreneurs where they had me as their coach. We have about 17,000 in the program, strategic coach, coached by other coaches. And, you know, I, I easily half of the ones that I've had did 10 times within their first 10 years. And, uh, you know, but it's, it's a thinking process and we just treat it as normal, you know, that once you have this goal, then you're just going to treat it as the normal thing. This is where I'm going and you're going to be open. You're going to be very, very open to new opportunities and possibilities that you're going to have to change the way that you think about things, how you communicate about things. But the big thing is that you're going to go from being sort of a notion that you can do all this on your own because you can't, uh, you've got to open yourself up to teamwork. And that's our big thing with coach. And now we've moved on, you know, less than 10% of the entrepreneurs that I coach right now are in financial services. I've got growing number of people in technology and healthcare and marketing and everything. And we're global now. That was basically when we were Canadian or just the United States, but we have a lot of entrepreneurs from around the world. So that that's as quickly as I can give you the, the whole idea, Brad. So it gives you the framework. And I've done it since 1982. I've done it once, twice, three times, and I'm on my fourth 10 times uh, right now. So this would be 10,000 times bigger than than when I, you know, when I started back in 1982. It's too bad you're not a stock. We should have invested in you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. You could put together a portfolio of, you know, take 50 of my 10 times people who are real serious about it. There would be real growth potential in that. You, you need to get a, uh, what do they call them in the startup world? Where you're taking a piece of equity of everybody in the group. That's yeah. that's what you need. So we have a mutual friend and and client in, of yours, Michael Hyatt, and he oh, told yeah. me that what a wonderful man, Michael. He is just as good as they get. He told me I would be doing the listeners a disservice if I. So we're on the ten times talk, and you, you, we were chatting before we went live here as far as the entrepreneurial mindset mm-hmm. and what your quote was. An entrepreneur believes the future is bigger than the past, right? Which is a strength when you want to grow, but from a mindset and a positivity standpoint, it can, it's always, nothing is ever good enough, right? Well, I just doubled and tripled my business this year, but I meant to quadruple it. So can you, Michael wanted me to ask you to speak on the gap Mm -hmm. concept of actually appreciating the growth and where you've come from. So if you could speak to that. Yeah. So our minds can really play tricks with us, Brad. And um, one of the tricks it plays is around the whole idea of having ideals about your future. Okay. So people, you know, say, I want to achieve my ideals. And the moment that they say that they put themselves in trouble because Ideals by their very nature are not achievable. And the thing that I can say here and have it correspond is another experience we have where we can't achieve something, but it's actually very useful for us. And that's in physical space with the horizon line in Kansas. You know all about this. You know, there's lots of horizon in Kansas. And uh, I think there's there's one right behind me. Right yes, now. yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, we're not very old uh, as children before we realize that that line separating the ground from the sky isn't actually a place that we can get to. But it's incredibly useful because our notion of where the horizon line is actually allows us 
to pick an actual destination somewhere between here and the horizon line that we can get to. And I'm just going to call that that that's your goal, that you're going to get to the goal. And then when you actually get to the goal, let's say, you know, you you walk 100 yards, let's say, or 200 yards and you get there. This is what you do when you get there is actually going to determine whether your life is going to be happy or unhappy because there's two ways you can measure where you got to. And one of them is you measure against the horizon. And if you measure against the horizon, you actually haven't gotten anywhere at all. The reason is the horizon line is just as far off as it was when you began. And you can't reach it if it's at nighttime when it's dark, and you can't reach it if you're real fast. Uh, The horizon line is always going to move away from us. And the whole reason is that the horizon line doesn't exist for us to achieve. It actually exists so that we can orient ourselves in space and actually achieve physical motion and spatial progress. If, on the other hand, you were to turn around and measure where you came from, you've actually achieved an enormous amount. And just in that, um, you know, spatial or physical example, I'm setting up to understand what the ideal is. The ideal plays exactly the same purpose in time as the horizon line does in space. So we're creatures of time and space. We're born into space and we have to deal with time. And so the ideal there is actually to illuminate uh, what our goals are actually. And the difference between a goal and a ideal is that the goal is actually achievable. You can put measurement to it and you'll know it when you get there because it's measurable and you measure either with a number or it's an event. You know, you get to there, there's an event you're working for uh, and uh, you get to the event and it either happens or it doesn't happen, but you, you'll know it whether you actually achieved it. The ideal you never get to because just like the horizon line, as you go towards your goal, the ideal moves away from you. It gets bigger. And so what I notice is that entrepreneurs, and I think it's just because this is what happened when they were children, they got into this notion that someday I'm going to achieve my ideals and where it was okay for them as children emotionally that they're not going to achieve the horizon line. They really have this firm, firm belief that they're going to achieve their ideals. And that's, it's impossible. It's not, it's not the purpose for the ideals. It's, it's just to put in very, very sharp relief what your goals are. So when you get to your goals and you actually achieve them, then we're right back with the same situation as we were with the horizon line. If you measure from the achievement, from your goal forward to the ideal, you haven't accomplished anything. People looking from the outside think that you're a tremendous achiever, but you're not feeling it because in your mind, you haven't made any progress. And I have to tell you, you can tell right off the bat that someone is doing this if you pay them a compliment. So somebody achieves something you know, and you give them a compliment because it's a big achievement and they brush it off. And the reason why they're brushing it off because they don't think it's true because they're not experiencing it as true. And you can have people who are world champions who, when they win the world championship, from their standpoint, it's nothing because it didn't correspond to their ideal. So they've got this false image of what their achievement is. You know, it could be 
Academy Award winners, Olympic athletes, you know, all the astronauts, if you read the history of the Apollo mission, astronauts who actually walked on the moon, almost all of them had nervous breakdowns during next 10, 20 or 30 years. And my feeling is, if I read some of the biographies, why they had nervous breakdowns was that they had this notion from the time they were a kid that one day they were going to fly to the moon and they were going to walk on the moon. And that was going to make them a transformed person. They, they were going to be a totally different kind of person as a result of walking on the moon. And then they got back and they had the parade. And the first day that they were back home after the parade, their wife said to them, well, now that you're back, can you pick up some hamburger on the way, you know, hamburger on the way home? You know, now that can you be busy around here? Because I put up with this for about 10 years so that you could walk on the moon. Now you're back. Can you be useful yourself? And they don't feel like a different person. And that fades away very, very quickly. And all that work that they thought was going to make them into an extraordinary transformed human being, it really, it really hasn't done that at all. So just following through, just to complete the thought here, that when they, you know, you have the ideal that allows you to set the goal and you get to the goal and you turn around and you look backwards from where you started, you always get a sense that you've made enormous progress. May not have been a hundred percent, but it was real progress. And so the situation of making yourself unhappy by comparing yourself with the ideal I call the gap, because there's a gap between you and where you want to be. And the other way of measuring I call the gain, because no matter what kind of progress that you've made, when you turn around, look backwards to where you started, then you feel this tremendous gain. And you can literally happiness yourself through life. Just always remember that you have to project forward, but you have to measure backwards. So that's my, mm. that's what Michael Hyatt was talking about. And, you know, it's a very, very, very common thing among entrepreneurs that they have this because their futures are a bit more unlimited than people who work for a living in a corporation or they work for government where they basically tell you what you can achieve. Mm. Uh, there's nobody to tell an entrepreneur what they can achieve uh, except themselves, but they can they can set it up the wrong way right from the beginning. And it's a game they can't win. And my feeling is it says it's one of the prime reason this continual dissatisfaction, this feeling of failure of getting to your ideal is actually the main cause for addictions of any kind, you know, uh, a, a, any kind of addiction that you can think of, whether it's chemical addiction or workaholism or mm -hmm. sexual addiction could be a gambling addiction or anything else. And the reason is you're not getting that hit that you wanted to get out of it. So you do it artificially. And uh, the other thing is that almost all addictions are acquired by human beings around the age of 14 or 15. There are very few people become addicted to anything after 20 years old, with the one exception of uh, painkillers, which you you yourself will know from football days that, <laughs> that uh, you know, a lot of the top athletes become very, very addicted to. My, my goal, Dan, was to make sure the other guys that I was hitting were taking the painkillers, not so much me. <laughs> I sound like General Patton, you know, the, the, the great line, your, your job is not to die for your country. Your job is to make some other poor SOB die for his country, you know, so.
Yeah. I understand the sentiment, but uh, that, that in a nutshell is it, but that, that single concept, you know, I've, I've put out two concepts, the 10 times mind expander and the gap in the gain. Uh, and the reason is because I can set it up so that you make enormous progress, you know, exponential progress that other people would definitely say that's, that's extraordinary what you you've done, but you have to have the mindset that you appreciate the extraordinary thing and you get full value from that. And a lot of entrepreneurs lead their whole lives and they, you know, they change worlds, but they don't feel any of the progress. They don't feel any of the contribution that they've actually made. And it's, it it drives them to all sorts of very, very self-destructive behavior as they go along. Mm-hmm. And they uh, one last thing, if you during that to yourself, you have a tendency to do it to other people. There's nothing that other people can do that can really satisfy you. And that causes enormous organizational problems, you know, with uh, family problems. You know, so, so many children of high achieving entrepreneurs develop this gap concept towards their life. And there's nothing they can do to please mom or dad. Mm hmm. Well, what's interesting is those two, and the good news is, Dan, I've done a lot of recon. We've got a lot of mutual friends and mutual clients. Some of our very top clients are strategic coach, longtime attendees. And those, the 10 times and the gap play off each other because of the fact I'm wired this way. I think a lot of top achievers are wired this way. And it's until you do some self-analysis and figure out, oh, wait, I, I am always just focusing on that horizon and it's making me uncontent and unhappy. And Joel, mutual friend out of Connecticut, one of our top advisors. Joel Johnson. Yes. Great, great guy. He, he uh, coaches some, some groups for us. And I sat in and, and he did the 10 times and then divide by 10. And if you look back to when your revenue was a 10th of what it is today, and you look at all the progress you've made it, you can kind of, okay, soak it in for a little bit and, and let's actually celebrate, which is, I think, a, a word that's missing in a lot of entrepreneurs' vocabularies. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just the celebration. Yeah, I think one of the reasons, it's a bit of a solitary existence. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think of people who, uh, first of all, there's only about 5% of the general population, and this is worldwide. It's not uh, peculiar to the United States, Canada. We're in the UK also, so we have three countries where we're doing it's not peculiar it's about generally and i think that society to move forward doesn't need more than five percent of its population to be entrepreneurs you know that's sufficiently enough people devoted to this activity to create new products new services new markets new businesses new jobs and my feeling is that all the progress that we've experienced in the uh, western world primarily western europe um starting with Holland being the first country and then Great Britain and then the United States and Canada, uh, that, you know, it, it was like there was almost no progress for all of human history right up until about 1800. And then we've gone, we've just gone exponential since then. And the only factor that I can find that's different from previous history what's happened over the last 200 years is that entrepreneurs move from being marginal creatures at the edge of society to the center of society so that 200 years ago your you know your great heroes cultural heroes in society were generals and you know politicians and you know scientists uh, starting to be scientists 
And today it's Mark Zuckerberg, it's, uh, you know, it's Elon Musk, it's, mm-hmm. uh, and so entrepreneurs have moved right to the very center. And if you ask, uh, you know, so many young people what they want to be, they, you know, they don't, they don't want to be any of those traditional role models. They, they, they want to have an IPO. They want to, you know, they, they want to have a startup. They, they want to do this. And it's just testimony to the, the fact that this, you know, this entrepreneurial role is being recognized as the actual, the trigger for growth for everything else in society. But having said that, the decision to become one is scary. You know, it's scary to put yourself in the marketplace with no guarantees of income and no guarantees of opportunity. And you have to create these for yourself. Not everybody's up to this. They don't have the nervous system. And I, I think you're kind of born with the mindset. Um, uh, you're not born with the skills, but I think you're born with the mindset that you would be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Switching gears a little bit here. Once again, I'm pulling from the benefit of having a lot of mutual clients here. So another guy named Jeff Rose, the longtime strategic coach guy, he shared with me, this is fun. So I'm actually on a podcast with the guy where the name of the podcast came from. So you didn't know this, but Jeff shared with me a number of years ago, the unique naming guide Mm -hmm. and this whole concept. And it, it was a combination of him and Michael Hyatt. And I remember I was in a mastermind with Michael and we went through what, what do I, Brad, what do I provide for my clients? We walked through the whole coaching framework. Does any of your competition do that? No. So I was, I was puffing my chest out. I was getting kind of proud and uh, we go all the way through and Michael says, what do you call it? And I said, a uh, coaching session. Mm-hmm. What, what does your competition call what they do? Uh, coaching session, I guess. And he said, well, how do your prospects know the difference? And what was interesting was the value proposition was very high. The packaging was horrible and I changed it. So once again, another thank you, because it was actually your framework that led to the name of this podcast and the name of my coaching process. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to spend some time on that. Where did this whole unique naming guide come about? Mm-hmm. Uh, can you speak to financial advisors about why it's so important? Yeah, well, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a history nut and uh, I was a philosophy major in, in college. And I'm very convinced that the world is created through ideas. And that it's the adoption, widespread adoption of ideas that changes physical reality for human beings. And so everything starts with what is the starting idea? And one of the things about the book of Genesis, if you go back to the very first book of the Bible, it says there what the first skill is that was given to human beings. And Adam was given the skill by the creator to name all the animals and plants in the garden. I says, naming. naming. I said, why, why is naming the first skill? And the reason is that naming creates new things and that the whole thing of naming something actually makes a difference. And there's some great historical examples. I remember, you know, the uh, Churchill, who's one of my historic role models uh, after the Second World War, he actually came to a little college in Missouri. He was on a speaking tour. He had been turfed out as prime minister. He was a wartime prime minister. He wasn't a great peacetime prime minister, but he was on a speaking tour, and this was in 1946. And of course, 
the Russians knew that the Cold War had started. The, the, the Americans and the other people had didn't know it had started. And he gave this speech, and I don't remember the college, but it was in Missouri. And he just said that across the ancient capitals of Europe, from north to south, an iron curtain was coming down, dividing free Europe from, you know, captive Europe, and that now this was the new reality. And the moment this came out, the the American president, everybody was furious because they were still making nice with the Russians. And Churchill never never felt nice about the Russians, especially the Soviet version. And uh, and within a matter of weeks, that word, the Iron Curtain, you know, became, you know, became the name. And then a couple of years later, there was a very famous diplomat by the name of George Kennan. And he said, you know, this isn't a hot war. This is a cold war. And he named it, you know, that he named it. And so what you notice is that throughout society, you know, as society develops, there's names of things, social media, you know, who ever knew about social media? I was born in the 1940s, you know, what's social media, you know, and yet social media describes a new reality in the world. So one of the things, and this goes back to my early work with financial advisors, And Brad, I had a particular experience, and that is I started in the 70s with, you know, the American and Canadian financial advisors. And then in the early 90s, once we started the program, we started getting British financial advisors. And this is really where it started. I mean, the birthplace of financial services is really Great Britain. And I noticed um, that something had happened to them that I very quickly began to realize was going to happen to all the financial advisors in the world. And that is that they were getting regulated out of existence. And the big move, which had the greatest impact, is in 1991 or 1992, in Great Britain, they made full disclosure of commissions for financial advisors became mandatory. So that when you settled a case and, you know, the insurance was placed and you got your commission check, the person who the customer would receive a letter from the insurance company saying, we want you to know that your your real life insurance agent made this amount of commission on the sale. And for really good life insurance agents who have, uh, you know, a great relationship and they have real, you know, they have a real confident approach to the value that they're actually creating, that isn't a real problem. And the reason is because the person says, well, you, of course you should get paid. But if you've been convinced from the beginning of your career that you personally are contributing no value to this, that the only thing that's valuable is the product you're selling and the company that you're representing, this was a devastating move. And within about, so this is the early 90s, and I would say within about 15 years, they lost 90% of their life insurance agents. Hmm. And the and the reason is, what were you selling? You were selling something that it was impossible for you to say why what you were selling was different from what anyone else was selling. So starting with the British agents, and this was just of all, first of all, life insurance, and then it started spreading to the investment industry. I started getting is that, you know, you've got to get off leading with your product and you can't even lead with your service. You got to lead with something else. 
And Brad, this is where I came up with, and I did this little test with people, and I had them draw three columns on a sheet of paper, and they labeled the columns product, service, experience. And then it was kind of like a matrix, so I would have them write down the names of the 10 best clients that they had ever had. And I said, so I want you to put a, a check mark in the column that tells the truth about why uh, your client chose you and has stayed with you and is really loyal to you. And so if it was the product, put a check mark there. If it was the service, put a check mark there. And you can only have one check mark. It's mm-hmm. just product, service. And at the end, invariably, all 10 check marks were in the experience side. There's a particular type of experience that actually happens when I'm with him. He thinks in a different way. You know, there's sort of a magic that happens in our teamwork and they become very, very clear about their future and they become where before they were paralyzed because they weren't sure what to do. They become very confident and very certain about their decision making and they take action. And then we followed through and we put the solutions in place. And I said, isn't it very, very interesting is that you're competing with everybody else in the marketplace for product and service, but the actual thing that the actual thing that makes the difference is the thing that you don't get paid for. (laughs) Yeah. You don't get paid for your experience. You only get paid for the product and service. And I said, what if we were to take the actual experience and actually analyze what actually happens and break the experience from first meeting to actual solution in place? And we broke that down into a process and I called it a unique process. And, you know, six or seven stages, and you would always approach things this way. And we named each of the stages, and we gave an overall name to the process. And so when you go in to a situation, you don't talk about product, you don't talk about service, you don't talk about your company, you simply say, I've got a thinking process that will allow you to take a lot of complexity right now that you're up against and things where you feel there's real dangers, but you haven't thought them through. You have some opportunities, but you're kind of paralyzed. You're not taking advantage of them. And you have strengths that you know you're kind of squandering. And I put a process through where you would eliminate your dangers, capture your opportunities, and uh, maximize your strengths. Would you be willing to embark on this process? And, you know, and the really good people say, thank God somebody understands what it's all about. I'm so tired of people coming in, trying to peddle products and services. And I don't care what mm-hmm. company they work with as long as it's reputable and AAA in terms of, you know, I get my money back and uh, they follow through. And uh, so we really started that. And the people first in the pool for doing this was all the British clients because I said, they're going to take everything away. I said, I'm going to predict that there's a point in the future where no financial services company will be allowed to actually pay you a commission or a fee. And I just wonder how you're going to continue your career when that happens. And I I said this Americans and Canadians, they said, well, they would never do that. So I started with the people where they were actually doing it with and today on, you know, I mean, three years ago on the 1st of January, 2013, in Great Britain, they took away all the commissions and fees. And the only people left in the marketplace over there are my strategic coach people who got started in this in the late 90s. And 
early 2000s. And they're like sharks at a beach party right now because they, first of all, they've been selling the process. You know, I, I said, and once you've made the process, why don't you sell the process? And uh, I said, if you're really uh, courageous, why don't you get the, why don't you give the product away for free? And, you know, and I can see it. It's happening differently in the United States and Canada because the jurisdictional, you know, the regulators is different. Life insurance is a state yeah, a state thing in the United States. But you're seeing it in California. You'll, you'll see it in New York will be the first to go. Well, I, this is incredibly timely advice. Uh, the Department of Labor ruling. The Department of Labor Department with the pension. Is, is trending towards what you're talking about over in Britain. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so on that, so on the the guys that survived, the advisors that survived in Britain, they are now fee only advisors that charge a fee for their planning process. Is that? Yeah. What yeah. And it, you know, the thing is that in essence, it's not much different than what they were doing before. But the process, so the amount for the process will depend upon assets under management, and they'll put mm-hmm. a price. But the thing is that it's so great about it, Brad, and what they all say to me is that they've moved from regulatory legal system to the civil law system. So it's no different than most businesses operate. You have a customer, you have a provider of something, and there's an agreement. It comes under civil law. You either, you know, you either live up to the deal or you don't live up to the deal. And there's provisions. You can sue people for this and everything else. And what they've been freed up is from the third party pay. So your best clients actually never pay you. They pay a third party and the third party pays you. It's the same problem with medicine under, uh, you know, most systems is that you're not paying the doctor. You're paying a third party and the third party pays the doctor. Anytime you get third party pay, it creates enormous complexity and in the end, the the lawyers run everything. You know, they they control everything. And government lawyers are in many ways more punitive than private sector lawyers, mm-hmm. more restrictive and everything like that. So that's where we hit. And then we move this into all the other industries, which are much easier to do because they don't have the same regulatory constrictions and uh, that the financial services does. But I have doctors who do this that just opt out of all health plans and all service. They just have concierge services. And, you know, and your family pays $10,000 a year and you go through a process every year that checks every part of your health. It becomes very proactive. And then, you know, I mean, if there's actual surgical things or specialty things. So, well, that gets paid for, you know, in the same way. But I have, you know, there's doctors in the program, you know, they have uh, 200 families, $10,000 each, you know, and then they have, if there's special things that's added to it, all the tests are added to it and everything, but they have a solid $2 million a year to start with. And, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. doctors haven't increased in their income for a long time in the American and Canadian system. I want to drive this home. Obviously, we're speaking to financial advisors. And if you take, there's so many nuggets Dan's already shared, but the one that I've seen dramatic, dramatic results from our advisors is taking the generic terminology of we do income planning, we do risk and fee analysis, we do portfolio design, all these generic terms that get thrown around in our industry. And now speaking to what what you're talking about right now, Dan, is take this, name it, the XYZ financial planning blueprint, whatever, 
mm-hmm. a, a trade market. And now that is your unique proprietary five-step process that you walk your clients through to give them the retirement that, you know, that allows mm-hmm. them to lead the lifestyle they want to lead. Yeah. So one thing to, I want to hit on, because people think it's a lot tougher to trademark than it actually is. Can you just speak to that for a second? Well, first of all, there's a very, very quick trademark thing that anything that you create and it goes public, just put TM after the name that you have. And that'll stand up in 90% of the law because usage is 90% of the law. So what you do is, let's say you create a diagram which lays out your process or it's a thinking exercise that lays it out. You'll have a name at the top and put TM at the top of it. Mm-hmm. And under most circumstances, that will stand up. And then if you've got one that you, if, that's usually in the early days where you're just testing out, but uh, everything that I ever create automatically gets a TM at the top. And then there's certain things which just really, you know, are going to last forever and they're going to continually become more important. Then you go through the reg, what's called a registered trademark and it's not a TM, it's got a little R and it's in mm-hmm. a circle and that's a registered trademark. And that costs you know, it costs legal fees to get that, but uh, then it stands up forever. And one of the things that's happening more and more is that people are use, are creating algorithms or using, they're creating software. A lot of the robo-advisor thing, if you take a look at one of the robo-advisor thing, that's actually an algorithm. That's a software program that actually takes a unique process in it, and, but it's the computer, you know, the computer is actually asking the questions and those get patented. You can actually get a patent on that. You know, it falls under, first of all, it involves technology. And the second thing is that there's a transformation, transformational experience from the time the customer comes in till the other end. And that qualifies as a patent. And patents are the nuclear weapons of the intellectual property world. You got a patent, you know, you can, it stands up everywhere. For 10 years, I had the number one IP lawyer for startups in uh, Silicon Valley in my program. And that's all he did was give startups the same legal protection as large corporations. And one of his that he was an 18 year old walked in and he says, I got this idea. It's called Facebook. And um, so he did all the legal structure for Mark Zuckerberg when he when he came in and he got Mark Zuckerberg started with one of the reasons it's gotten so big is that he had nuclear level intellectual property protection right from the beginning. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk going about, you know, the way the world's moving, you know, you don't need to trademark. And I said, yeah, but just in case the world's not going the way you think it's going, put the trademark on. And anything you write is copywritten, but you can put a copyright down. You know, the moment you write it, put down copyright, your name, probably the city where you did it and the date. And that stands up as a copyright. Mm-hmm. Well, it's official. The Elite Advisor Blueprint got the uh, R yeah. the circle yeah, it's around. It's a beautiful it, so. name, and and here's the thing <laughs> about that, Brad. I, you know, if you say Elite Advisor Blueprint, the person says, "What is that? What what is that Elite Advisor Blueprint?" And that's the big thing about the difference between a commodity name and a unique name is that it invites the other person to say, well, what is that? Can you show me? And the, the word blueprint, I have to tell you, it's like catnip for humans. I mean, <laughs> humans, 
humans want to know blueprint. Show me the blueprint. I mean, everybody wants to know what a blueprint is. And it's intriguing. And elite is an intriguing word. And so the taking advisor, you know, if you said, uh, you know, and you could do anything with advisor as long as the the name suggests that it's not a commodity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think that's the big thing because everybody's getting commoditized. And you see, probably the equivalent for the financial advisors in North America that sort of will have the same devastating impact as the British experience that I described is the the robo-advisor thing, you know. Look at it from the bank standpoint or the big wirehouse standpoint. Robo-advisors show up for work in the morning. They work all day. They're constantly productive. They don't take coffee breaks. You know, they don't go to lunch. They don't have an attitude. You know, they don't argue and everything else. You know, get rid of all these, you know, these uh, misfits that we hire as advisors. And let's get the robo-advisors in there. So the the competition isn't going to be other advisors. It's going to be robo-advisors. So you better have something that's a lot more special than a robo-advisor if you're going to be out in the marketplace in the next couple of years. You know, it's happening in all industries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doctors are going to be replaced. Uh, You know, GPs are going to be replaced by, you know, really, really smart diagnostic systems that can crunch your symptoms against, you know, 10 million other people and give you an answer in 15 15 minutes of your next steps and where you could go. And not only that, it'll make the appointment for you. It'll check out your insurance. And there you are. So it's a world that we're going into. Dan, can you speak to the financial advising space? And how do today's advisors hedge against the becoming robo-advisors? How do you protect yourself? Yeah, well, first of all, just imagine right off the bat that you're not getting paid commissions. So if, and I used to say this, I remember there was one incident, I think it was around 1998. I have a book actually called Unique Process Advisors, if if anybody wants to get it, where I take 10 advisors and I actually identify 10 unique processes. And uh, the story is the same story for each one of them. And I remember the pushback with each of them that I, you know, that I got from them and saying, I said, what's going to happen when they take away all your commissions and fees? And I said, well, they're not going to do that. And I said, "Uh, yeah, not in one move, but uh, they can nickel and dime you to death, you know, for so every year the compliance becomes more annoying. Yeah, you end up spending half your time talking to 26-year-old lawyers at head office who haven't got a clue about what the marketplace is and really annoying. And they start chopping down your compensation and they add more and more legal complexity to it. Fiduciary, you have to take a complete course. That's the Department of Labor thing and everything else. And I said, one January, you're going to wake up and say, I can't do that. I just can't do this anymore. Guess what? They just took away all your commissions. And so my my sense about this is the first thing that you have to do is you have to create an alternative income model. And the, what you brought up and what you're doing, Brad, is exactly the, what I would advise people is that they have to have a unique process that's uniquely named that they can charge for. Okay. And I have a lot of advisors that uh, after they really became successful, they just gave up all their licenses. 
And the reason is you don't need a license to sell a unique process where you're simply asking the individual about their future. In other words, you're not talking about product. You're not talking about service. You're, you're talking about what are their dangers? What are their opportunities? What are their strengths? And how do they prioritize them? And if they were starting to make decisions, what would be the first decision? What would be the game plan? How would they measure their progress? None of that involves any product or service. It's not, there's no promises in there, but it is a phenomenal know your client document once you, once you complete it. I mean, it's the best uh, know your client KYC document in the world. And this really stands up in lawsuits. We have a, a thing that's actually a book of mine, which is called the Dan Sullivan question. But we have a thing which is called the DOS worksheet, which stands for dangers, opportunities, and strengths. And I say, always make this your first conversation with a prospective client and even go back to existing clients and do this. And the question is, Brad, if we were meeting here and it was three years from today, so, um, you know, we're in 2016 here, so it's 2019 on a particular date. And we were there and you were looking back over the three years, what has to happen to you both uh, professionally and personally for you to feel happy with your progress? Okay. And then one of two things is going to happen. The person is going to answer the question and they're not going to answer the question. They don't answer the question. They're rejecting you. And you should say, thank you very much. Since you didn't answer my question, I realize I can't do anything for you. And you leave. You screen out the people who don't want to play with the question. People who do want a question, all you have to do is sit back because they're going to talk for an hour. They're going to talk for two hours. They're going to give you more information in one two-hour setting than you've ever gotten from any client in your life because one of their goals this year was not to buy your service. As a matter of fact, most prospects, when they meet you, they were hoping to get through their life without meeting you. But when it's all about them and you're just sitting there and asking them about them, you may be the first person in their life who ever asked them this question and allowed them to do that thinking. And it seals the relationship right up front. And the first thing all of us have to do in my business and your business, in the people who take um, the elite advisor blueprint is the first thing you have to sell is a relationship. And this way of approaching things sells the relationship. And then you come back to them then with the layout of the process, just based on the information that you get from this first meeting. And then there's a price fee, you know, uh, kick this off is going to take $5,000 to kick it off. And, uh, you know, you give them complete transparency that, um, you know, there's going to be products that are going to be necessary to implement solutions here. And so what happens with the advisors who actually give up their licenses, they have an organization and they have licensed advisors in the organization, but they're, they're kind of the person who, you know, sets up the opportunities. And I've got, I've got a lot of an American and Canadian advisors who've given up their licenses. I mean, it sounds like suicide, but uh, what I'm describing probably is fast suicide, but the way most advisors are going about it is slow suicide. (laughs) All right. So I want to go a direction here because our time is limited and I've got, like I said, days worth of questions for you, Dan. One of my most successful clients, and he got this from another guy that was probably a strategic coach client at one time, 
I'm not even sure the name of, because I guarantee it's named, your focus days, your buffer days. Free focus and buffer, actually. Free, okay. So, so I'm Yeah, only you see, you've been operating, uh, you've been, you should have been sitting on a three legged stool, but you only had two legs. So, <laughs> so I, I'm going to give you massive comfort in the future. So, yeah. Perfect. Well, this is this is a good question then. So, so what it what do you call this week? And and speak to the strength of it. If you can just give everybody that's a listener or watching here yeah. just an overview of what what this is. Yeah. Before I you know got into my coaching career, I'd had a number of years in the entertainment industry, um, mostly in theater. And if you notice the you know the entertainment world, which would include sports, because athletes are entertainers. They they operate by a completely different time system than most people do. They don't have weekends and work weeks and everything like that. What they have is that they have they have show time or they have game time when they actually do what they get paid to do. But then before that, they have other kinds of days which are called rehearsal or practice days. Okay, so and it's the practice that really allows them to perform at a level that they, you know, the really top ones can really command extraordinary incomes, you know, really really phenomenal. I was just paying attention to the MBA free agencies. And then, you know, you're talking about some real serious money out there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And why do people get paid for that? Because if you add the total number of hours that are involved in a season, I mean, in MBA, it's 80, 82 you know, it's 82 games, but it's, you know, three hours, 242 hours, you know, divide that by, you know, eight hour workday, that's 30 days Like you know, some guys are getting paid $25 million for 30 days. And you know, the entertainment is the same movie, uh, everything else. So these are individuals who don't get paid for time and effort, they get paid for results, they live totally in a results economy. And, you know, whether they get paid like that depends upon their ability to just be totally present when they're actually performing, but also the, you know, the preparation that went into it. And sometimes there's a 10 to one or 20 to one differential between one hour of performance, but it was 20 hours of preparation. And the other thing is they also have a third thing and they they take lots of free time off. Okay. So they're either rehearsing or performing or they're on free days. So when I got into the work world uh, right after college, I was a copywriter in a big ad agency in Toronto, and uh, you didn't operate that way. You know, here you were doing creative work, but you were doing creative work as if you were, you know, pushing paper. And because you had to be there at nine in the morning, you had to be there until five at night and you got weekends off. But even there, the other people did actually take weekends. But if there was a big job, you worked weekends, you worked nights. I remember one project I was on, we had some big clients like Chrysler and Kraft. And um, I, I got up on a Sunday morning and I went to bed on a Wednesday night. It was just straight work for three you know, better. Part that was before Red Bull. So how did you do it? Yeah. Well, you know, old time people knew things too. <laughs> and uh, anyway, Red Bull. We'll, we'll leave that one on the shelf. Red Bull is more about naming. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not actually about the substance. But anyway, and so when I got into the entrepreneurial world, I said, you know, entrepreneurs should act like entertainers. You know, and. 
financial advisors are entrepreneurs in the sense that you're not guaranteed anything. You know, you don't kill it, you don't eat. So uh, what I said is that you should arrange your time in three parts. And I just take a circle and break it into three, you know, three pieces of pie. And one of them is called free days. And so free days are days, midnight to midnight, when you don't do any work-related activity at all. Okay, so you, you can't check your emails, you can't check your cell phone, anything, you can't work on files, you can't read things. You're doing free day activities, hopefully with the people who mean the most to you. And uh, the second one is focus days, and focus days are money-making days. These are the days where you arrange things so that from, you know, you, you use that day for the purpose of closing sales and uh, getting paid. And then there's a third day, which is uh, a buffer day, and a buffer day is a preparation day. And so in the financial services industry, if you look at these three days on a weekly basis, you would always have Saturday and Sunday as free days. Okay, this is what I would encourage because a lot of the advisors are working at home when they should be paying attention to their families. And uh, I think it's the biggest cause for divorce. Uh, I think it's the um, how people handle their time is actually the thing that annoys their family the most. You know, I had a financial advisor who almost got divorced on the day when his first child was baptized because he took a business call while she was being baptized. And he said to his wife, this is really important. And, you know, and walked away, you know, he went over and answered the call. And I said, yeah, but you had, you had stood up in front of a whole bunch of witnesses at one time and said that she was the most important thing, but you just disproved it. You say your wife and your children are the most important, but you every time you're tempted, you prove that they aren't number one. So this is really to protect the home life because you can be as successful as can be. You screw up the primary relationships and it, it doesn't mean anything. And, you know, I mean, uh, you don't do justice to your marriage and you don't do justice to your children. Uh, nothing you do in life is going to replace that. So we really want people to protect their free time and we want them to increase their free time because I want to show them that if they prepare properly and they really reserve their time for closing, they don't work, have to work nearly as many hours, okay? And so then Monday might be a buffer day. It's a preparation day. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday might be focus days closing. And then you would have Friday as a buffer day, a preparation day, where you're cleaning up everything from the week to get it moving, you know, towards all the administration work that has to be done to get cases in or you know, depending on what branch of financial services you are, and then you have the weekend off. So I, I'm putting it that a lot of people slice it and dice it differently. Some people take four-day weekends. I like taking a week off. I like taking a two-week off. I always take Saturday off. I work on Sundays. I'm a writer, and I, I do a lot of things. So once you learn the basic system, then you can custom design it to your circumstances. But the rules are that when you're having a free day, it's midnight to midnight, and it's about rejuvenation. When it's a focus day, it's midnight to midnight, and it's about money making. And when it's a buffer day, it's midnight to midnight, and it's about preparation. 
And the teams really love this. The families really love this. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs have, by our definition of of a free day, they've never had a free day in their life. It's true. Yeah. Well, what would you say to the financial advisor right now that's sitting there listening, thinking, well, but that baby boomer that's still working, I can't not see him before five. I see that a lot. I see advisors want to aspire to this calendar, but they just can't jump in with both feet and they have a tough time committing. So can you speak to how you've helped people make that jump? Yeah. And, you know, we have to do this in our very first workshop when people come to us because they're not going to, in the first 90 days, they're not going to put the whole system. And I says, I'll tell you what I would be really happy with. I said, I'd like you in the 90 days ahead, pick one day that's going to be a uh, perfect free day. You're going to assign that day and you're not going to do any business related activity during that day. Okay. And I think probably you'll want to do it away from home because you're probably using your home for an office. Mm. And uh, so you'll have work-related temptations, and I want you to be away from that. And spend it with your most important relationships and let them know for the whole day your attention is going to be totally on them. You're not going to be thinking or communicating. I just want you to have the experience of what that day feels different from the way that you're doing it right now. And then I want you to pick one day when you're going to pack the maximum amount of closing activity in so that, you know, you're striving for it to be probably the, from a money standpoint, the most productive day you've ever had. Okay. Just one day. I just want you to have the feeling and then compare it to the way you're doing it otherwise. And then I want you to give yourself the freedom on another day to have a complete preparation day where you, you, you don't even wear a suit. You know, you come in you know, in old clothes and you just sit there and the staff doesn't have to be, there's not going to be any meetings that day. Clients are not going to come in everybody can wear casual clothes and you're just going to go through preparation, setting things up and doing everything else and just give yourself the permission to, to actually do that. And then if you really like one, maybe you'll have six and if, you know, uh, of each of them, And once they get the feeling, Brad, of what it feels like to really have a free day, what it feels like to have a focus day, then they're really open to, you know, expanding the quantity. I'm giving them the sense of quality, what one of them feels like, and we'll just have them expand that. And then gradually they, you know, over a year, over two years, you can see it just morphs and they start doing this. And, and, you know, I've got over the years, I've got stacks of letters and cards from family members where, uh, you know, like um, the spouse, in this case, a woman writes and she said, uh, my husband went missing 15 years ago. And I said to myself, if he doesn't come back by this Christmas, um, we're going to end it. And uh, she said, I just want want to thank you for bringing my husband back to me because he was missing for 15 years. And you know, you get children writing in, Dear Mr. Sullivan, thank you for giving us our father back. We, we didn't have a father. And uh, this is what they think. I mean, they, you think you're getting away with it, bribing them with uh, treats and bribing them with money, but the, they, they know what the score is, you know. That's powerful right there. Yeah. How rewarding is that for you? Yeah. Your full-time job. Yeah. And that's why you can't do this in corporations. You know, you can only do this with entrepreneurs. We don't allow corporate people to come into the program. You have to 
own your own business to do this because you've got to have right up front the decision-making power that you can make this so. And all it requires is a little bit of courage on your part. Uh, corporate people can't do this. You know? Can you speak to today's world with this this little device right here that never goes away, business in your back pocket? Mm-hmm. So on these free days, do you recommend leave the cell phone at home? What, what no, you, you have two cell phones, have a business cell phone and a personal cell phone. So where it's personal relationships, I would have a second cell phone that's used on free days. So do you have strategic coach clients? Do it's literally, here's the business cell phone. I'm setting it on the shelf and personal cell phone in case anybody important needs to get a hold of me. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you do that. And uh, gradually they leave both cell phones. <laughs> you know, they leave both cell phones and they, they'll just put a message on their cell phone. You know, I'm away on free days. You know, I mean, if there is an emergency, here's the number to phone. But, you know, we think the world demands this. Uh, world doesn't demand anything. You made up this game and you you're the one who's saying what you think other people expect of you. And if a client is going to fire you for being in touch with your family, you got to ask yourself, do you really want that client? And this is where the 10 times really comes important, because I can guarantee you when you reach 10 times, almost very, very few of your existing clients are still going to be clients. Mm -hmm. All right. We're getting towards the end here. So if you're ready to transition to what I call rapid fire questions, yes, I've already been kind of throwing them rapid fire, but we'll just speed them up a little bit since time's short. Yeah. Uh, this time I won't slow them. I won't. Slow them. <laughs> no, you're good. I'm, I'm <laughs> loving this. Obviously you're a well-read guy. I'll ask this two parts and you can answer both if you want. Your most gifted book that, that you give away the most or your favorite book that's made the biggest impact on your life. Yeah, I'll answer, uh, you know, I'll answer the first one. And uh, when I turned 70, I set a goal, you know, of how I was going to be when I was 95. So I was 72 years ago. And so I created a 25-year framework um, and w- because I wanted to communicate this to my team. We have about 120 team members in the three countries. Yeah, I said to them, you probably know 70-year-olds and, and you, ha- you observe how they are. And here's, here's Dan and he's 70. And, uh, you know, you probably had the thought, even though you may have not shared it, you know, how long is the old guy going to stick around? I just tell you, when I'm 95, I'm going to be doing workshops, and I'm going to have more energy, and I'm going to be a better coach. And I don't know what the fee structure is, but I'm going to be coaching there. So I just want to give you some reassurance for the next 25 years. And then what I said is, not only that, but I'm going to write a book every quarter for the next 25 years. So I'm going to write 100 books. They're little books. They're about 40-page books, and they have cartoons in them and everything else. And I have a whole team and we knock it out in about two months. And, you know, you can print really quickly these days. And uh, so the it would be among, my favorite would be among the ones I've just written. And they're really inexpensive because they're small. And there's actually three I would recommend, and you can buy them for the price of one normal book. And one of them is the 10 Times Mind Expander, which actually explains in detail what we actually talked about here. And then the next one would be the 25-year framework of actually planning your future in terms of 25 years, where each quarter is just 1% of 25 years. So you get 100 quarters each 
And then the third one would be called the four C's and that there is a structure that you can actually simplify your life if you think that your forward progress just consists of four stages, each of them starting with C. First of all, you have to commit and you have to commit before you have the capability to actually achieve the commitment, which puts you into the second C, which is called courage. And so commitment and courage is what's necessary to move forward. And once you do that and you're sufficiently out there, the third thing, new capability will emerge as a result of your commitment and your courage. And then out of that commitment, you'll get a higher level of confidence and then you can repeat the process. But everything I tell strategic coach clients I said, any growth in your life, I want to tell you right now, you can't do it without courage because you're going to put something from the past and the present at risk when you go towards the future. And so don't think that you're going to get to a point in your life where you're going to have a courage-free future. I said, the moment you start thinking you want a courage-free future, the universe wants the parts back. (laughs) Yeah. So those three books and, uh, you know, uh, strategiccoach.com, knowledge products, and uh, you, you get those. And they each have a w- audio component, which is a downloadable audio. And it's about two hours of audio where I talk about. So those be the three. I'm just thinking through your second question. And the second question, I would say, if I was recommending a book right now that gave people a total handle, on where the world is going right now would be by my a client who's in the program by the name of Peter Diamandis. Mm. And uh, Peter wrote a book four years ago called Abundance, and it's the best picture of the future I've ever seen. And he just tells you how technology is transforming everything. And for financial advisors, I, I would totally want them to understand how things are moving forward. And Peter had never taken a free day in his life. And now he takes, after three years in the program, he takes four weeks off this year and, you know, all electronics go down for four weeks. And he's got five-year-old twins. He's been married for about seven years. You know, he, he says, save my life. He says, you, you probably saved my life. So, uh, you know, I want entrepreneurs to get the full reward of happiness and satisfaction out of having taken the original risk. And that's kind of my passion in life is that entrepreneurs should be totally rewarded in every way for the risk that they've taken to not require other people to provide their income and provide their opportunities. Not many people are up to this. And I, I think the people who do it are, you know, the building blocks of the future for all of society. But I think that they're unique individuals and they should be totally rewarded and they shouldn't be beating themselves up. Mm. I want to build off that last comment. You've coached entrepreneurs for, you said 72 was when you started? 74. Um, 74. August, August 15th, 1974. So many decades. Yep. Can you reach back? And tell us the story, maybe the condensed story of your favorite success story to ever come through strategic coach. And you don't have to share names if you don't want to, but your favorite success story ever. Well, they're all in the present. So um, one, one of the things that happened is as the program has gotten better, the entrepreneurs have gotten better. I mean, and Michael is a good example. You know, Michael's only in the program a 
few years compared to the vast number of other people. But, uh, you know, first workshop when he came in, I said, whoa, got an all-star here. And, you know, and um, you could just see the way his mind worked. You know, I mean, I could just tell mm-hmm. uh, the speed with which he picked up things. And um, But I would say, and this would be my closest friend in uh, of all the clients I've ever had, and his name is Joe Polish. Yeah, And Joe runs an organization called Genius Network, and um, he had a childhood that I wouldn't want to wish on anybody. I mean, he was abused as a child. He was severely drug addicted, uh, you know, in his teens. And I'm not revealing anything here that Joe doesn't reveal himself. And somewhere around age 20 or 21, he just reversed himself. And uh, I've never seen an example like this where just out of sheer desire for a better future, somebody just literally transformed himself. And he's been, he's in 18th year in the program and we're, we're great buddies. And we have a podcast series, which is called Mm -hmm. 10 times talk and, you know, very different from each other, but we have this enormous, I think, common ground that we really want to be heroes to other people. And, uh, we really want to make the world that we have contact with. We we want our impact to always be transformative and impactful on other people. And Joe shares that, and we share that in common. And just that resonance of those mindsets, uh, I think, is, and, you know, we'll be together forever. I mean, we'll work together. You just know that, you know, and so... That would be the biggest success story in terms on a number of levels, just what Joe has done with the 18 years since he's been in the program. And then also what we've created together and then the friendship that we've developed on. So that would be number one. I don't know Joe personally, but I've I've listened to a number of it. your guys' podcast together. Uh, I love Mark. Jackson and Joe. And- uh, yeah, so he's he's mentored me from afar. So. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's cool to hear that, that that success story started kind of way back in the strategic coach days. So. Incredible guy. Yeah, just an incredible person. All right. I've got two questions if you have time. <laughs> right. uh, you know, I have an infinite number of answers. So <laughs> I know, I know. But I also know you have a very segmented calendar, so I don't want to get into the free time on a Friday afternoon. So right. when you hear the word success, who's the first person you think of and why? That's that's really, really interesting. Now, I'm going to have to differentiate there. I have no notion of whether this person actually felt this way about himself. But I have some historical role models, you know, going back in history. I'll tell you, I've got a handful. One of them is Euclid. He was the first person to compile all the geometry principles in the world. And he did this around two or 300 B.C., and literally everything that's built in the world follows the principles in his book. And I doubt if there's a book that's ever been written that had more of a material impact. You know, he figured out right angles and, you know, mm. it's, it's a it's a bad world without right angles. And uh, so anyway, and then moving ahead in history, Shakespeare, I think Shakespeare is the smartest human being who's ever lived. And uh, he literally created a third of the English language himself during the 30 or 40 years. And we have a big Shakespeare festival close to Toronto, and I go all the time. But I'm just amazed to go to something that was written 400 years ago, and it's so modern, and it's so uh, clear. 
And then the next one is a favorite of mine. He's a musician, Bach, the, the great composer Bach. I won't go into that. But the one who I think has probably made the single big, biggest difference going forward is James Madison, who was the actual architect of the Constitution of the United States, which created the greatest society on the planet. Now, I say this, I've been 45 years living in another country, but, you know, it's kind of interesting. Obamacare, when it came out, was 2,700 pages, you know, eight and a half by 11 pages. The U.S. Constitution, if you printed it out on eight and a half by 11, is 27 pages. It was originally about 22 pages, 100, 240 years later, it's uh, added five more pages to it. And it's the law that governs government. And I think it's the single greatest probably printed document in terms of economic progress, technological progress that's ever been written. So I, I, I put in James Madison. I know Hamilton is getting very famous for the play. The guy who knew the con- how to put together a constitution was actually Madison, and he was five foot two and he weighed 105 pounds. And uh, when Madison talked, George Washington listened, Benjamin Franklin listened, Thomas Jefferson listened, everybody listened. And these were brilliant people, but he created. So I, w- I would say the greatest success in the world would be James Madison. All right, final question. What is the one thing you can share with all the listeners and the viewers that you think has led to your success? Hands down, my mother. And I think that I got to live the life that my mother couldn't live because she was born, you know, she was born in 1910. And being a woman, she couldn't live the life. But um, she just gave me enormous amount of freedom. And um when I, I grew up on a farm and I, I loved the farm and then they put me in a, a school and I hated school. And to this day, I hate school unless it's my school. Mm. But uh, about a month into first grade, uh, I came home and she said, you know, reading is more important than going to school. So during this year, you're going to learn how to read. And once you learn how to read, you can go anywhere you want with your mind, but you have to go and learn how to read. And then a little later, she said, you know, the teachers are only teaching you what they were taught. So you have to be aware of all sorts of other books and other things so that you develop your own independent view on what's being taught. And when I was about 10 years old, she said to me, you know, when you're 18, you're going to graduate and uh, you're not going to grow up around here. You're going to go out into the world and you're, you're not going to live here. You're not going to get married here, you're going to do it. And so right from the beginning, I had this massive permission just to basically follow my own dream. And my dad was, you know, he was an entrepreneur, and I really admired him, but he didn't give me the same kind of permission that my mother did. And I I think uh, she died about 20 years ago. And uh, I think that if she saw totally what I'm doing, she said, I did well. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think that's a great bookend to, to the conversation today. Thank you, Brad. So, so with that, Dan, I just want to say thank you. Also, I want to say thank you to Nancy, my client, your client in Chicago, who connected me with your team. Uh, so thank you, Nancy, for making this awesome conversation happen. And uh, Dan, you are welcome back anytime. So, okay. 
So whenever you get bored on one of those free days, you just call me up. I'll pull the laptop up and we'll, uh, we'll have another conversation like this. I'm incredibly uh, grateful for you sharing your time with us and the listeners. Well, I wouldn't do it on a free day. Oh, but I just blew this whole thing, didn't I? Right at the end. Well, we'll go buffer day then. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for your time, Dan, and enjoy the rest of your day and your weekend. Thanks a lot, Brad. Uh, great opportunity. I love I love this, and I got more answers where those came from. All right. Appreciate it. Take care. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. For more about the podcast or about the Elite Advisor Blueprint, be sure to visit bradj.net. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.